All right, welcome everyone to another episode of Behind the Human. I am your host, Mark Champagne, and it's my job to unpack the stories and mental fitness practices of people living at the top of their game personally and professionally. Today, I'm speaking with Chantel Martin, whose signature black and white drawings in an artist's inquiry into the role of artist and viewer, where a work of art is more than an object of admiration disconnected from its inception. With a meditative process defined by an uninhibited flow, her compositions embody her internal state and the impermanence of the world around her. Just love that. Exploring themes such as intersectionality, identity, and play, she is a cultural facilitator forging new connections between fine art, education, design, philosophy, and technology. Man, that is a beautiful written bio. Welcome to the show. Cool. Thanks for having me. It's almost as good as your name, Mr. Champagne. <laughs> I'll take it. Thank you. <laughs> it's, uh, I, I can't wait to dive in. I mean, I feel like there's, there's so much overlap. And like I was saying before we hit record, uh, you know, your name came up a couple times and then seems like the universe presented a podcast by, uh, with you and Chase Jarvis and Chase has been on the show before. And so I said, I'm following enough signs at this point. So I'm I'm super excited to have you and have this conversation. Well, thank you. You know, by the sounds of it, it sounds like we both have a love of questions. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm curious to perhaps see if we explore that a little bit. Absolutely. So the first one, as I mentioned, everyone gets the same question and it's it's something I think you're well-versed in. And it's just, before we get into your work, you know, who, who are you or what defines you as we speak right now? So, you know, who are you is that big existential question. You know, it's actually a question that we don't really have the vocabulary to answer, you know, because if I was to say, Mark, who are you at the core without saying what you do, where you're from, or the roles that you play in life, who are you? And, you know, we have those words to say, you know, I'm a teacher, I'm a doctor, I'm a creative, I'm from here, I'm a wife, I'm a, you know, we have the words to describe the roles and the places, but we don't have the vocabulary or even the emotions in a way to describe who we are at the core. And, and so, you know, I love asking this question and it's a huge part of my work and I've learned to figure out a way of answering it or begin to answer it in a practical way. So even if you just take those three words, who are you? And you take the first letter of each of those words, you have W-A-Y, way. And so, you know, I like to answer that question by answering or asking a different question, which is how are you finding your way in life? Mm. So that's a more practical question. It's a question where we can take eat, tackle each day or each month or each year by saying, you know, for myself, Chantel, how am I finding my way in life? Okay, I'm finding my way in life through this language of words and lines and drawings and characters and faces, which help create connections or experiences or the way that I explore these or express these helped create connections and experiences. And that's how I'm finding my way in life. And through this way, I'll begin to answer or begin to find fragments to the answer of that big existential scary question of who are you? So that's kind of a, a roundabout way of answering it. But the, you know, the, I think the answer is that we don't actually have the vocabulary in the words to answer that question. And if we did, we, you know, I think would solve a lot of the, the bigger world problems that we have out there. Oh, hundred percent agree. 
Um, I have to change the way the show starts now. Thanks. <laughs> no, but I mean, all kidding aside, I, I mean, I asked that question primarily to avoid someone saying, you know, I'm a designer or I'm this, I'm that versus trying to get to some sort of, you know, idea on the the values or the characteristics that form up the the person behind the mic. And I know that changes and that that's what's always interesting to see how people have you know, evolve, there's usually like some core characteristics that remain the same from childhood. But obviously, you know, every, every day, every month, every year, we're evolving as humans. And it's interesting to even some of the repeat guests to see how the, the answer changes over time. Yeah. Well, what even if, you know, we ask children, who are you at the core, you know, before they have job titles and before they have families and before they're attached to their birthplaces or cities or countries, you know, I think if we, if we start to ask younger people that question, I think we'll begin to find the vocabulary that would help us to answer it when we're much older. So true. So true. So why don't we talk a little bit about your journey to getting to a question like that, you know, how am I finding my way in life? So I, I love that prompt. So I know, you know, you've, you've had a, a pretty rich journey, you know, time in Japan, now in New York, you know, time finding the, the craft and, and, and your uh, expression through drawing. I mean, obviously there's a lot there, but I'm, I'm curious just uh, how you summarize kind of how you've gotten to where you're at right now, just to give some perspective for the listeners. You know, I think for myself, you know, exploring the question of who are you is a very easy one when most of your earlier life, or even most of just your life in general, people have always asked you, what are you? Um, yeah. And also, you know, when you're coming from a place where, you know, a little bit of background, you know, I'm biracial or mixed race or half caste people used to call me growing up you know even that word changes um as I get older um you know so I grew up in southeast London you know uh, white mum black dad didn't know my dad so you know white stepdads uh you know so my siblings are all blonde and blue-eyed and then I grew up in a very white racist homophobic working class part of England or London and um, you know, it's it's funny when even when you're a child and you walk out of your door and you look different from people around you, people bring such emotional baggage to you and onto you. And so even as a child, when people say, Well, what are you? or why are your sisters white and you're black, or like, you know, what happened to you? or you know, you you start to feel like this place isn't for me or there must be somewhere outside like no one's showing me any other alternatives and there's no one really that looks like me and no one's really explaining what's going on but I think as a kid that always made me curious about the outside or a different place or a place where I might fit in because if you don't fit in you either have that pressure to try and fit in or like myself, I was fine not fitting in. I was happy not fitting in. And I kind of leaned into that. And I think that's always put me on this constant journey now where, you know, taking that question of what are you and then really reflecting and understanding it's not about what are you, it's about who are you. And then coming across people that are educated, that are traveled, that are wealthy, that are all sorts of things. And knowing that they struggle with that same question um, and knowing that there's there's this kind of, uh, you know, humanity in that question or just that, 
you know, people have been around for a long time. We've been having family kind of uh, feuds or whatever for a long time. And there's so many um, questions out there that we still haven't answered. And, and I've always been fascinated by that and baffled by that. It's interesting you bring that up because actually this morning I was, uh, we were talking about the book that I'm writing. I was, I was working on one of the legends of the past and it happens to be Marcus Aurelius, uh, you know, one of the most famous Stoic philosophers and he was an emperor of Rome and whatnot. But as I'm going through, he has a book uh, called Meditations and it's basically his journal or about six, I can't remember how, how many, but there's a whole bunch of his uh, his journal entries in there. And there's a passage in there at one point that basically is just reflecting on the fact that everything just repeats. It's like, you know, his words were from 2000 years ago, but if you were to take, if you take the cover away and the person's name and the dates, it's the same shit we're all dealing with right now. Exact same thing, right? Like processing fear and, and trying to understand who we are and, you know, how to manage, you know, anxiety and this and that and dealing with loss. Like it's all the same stuff, Mm. right? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, and (laughs) I know you're here to talk about me, but I'm, I love these questions too, because it's like, all right. So you mentioned Marcus, Marcus, I don't know that game. Yeah, Mar- yeah. You know, you, you said it like I would know, but I don't know, but what's his last <laughs> name? Just, just so that people can hear that again. Marcus. Yeah. Marcus Aurelius. Yeah. I see. I probably won't remember that, but you know, it's, I look back at some writings, you know, from England, from the 1600s, when they say, you know, the outsiders, the immigrants are coming and taking our jobs. And, you know, that could be from last week or, you know, like last year. Um, So does progress exist? And is it, you know, does it, uh, what am I trying to say? Does progress exist? Or is it just the scenery that's changing? And if that's the case, like, why do we keep fooling ourselves and pretending that there is real change? Powerful. Flipping the questions around. That's a great. No, I'm, I'm you know, I'm, I'm desperate for yeah. some answers here, you know? <laughs> oh, but I think, yeah, I mean, I, I don't, I don't know if I have the answer to that other than what I've been realizing, just again, going through this book process, and especially when studying, you know, these people that have lived you know, thousands of years or hundreds of years ago. Um, I want to lean towards the fact that, yeah, I think the scenery has changed because a lot of people could think too that, okay, 2000 years ago, they didn't have the same, uh, same realities and stresses that we have today. We're getting hit with all this technology and content, but, but so that is true, but also not true because you're dealing with like plagues that literally wipe out, you know, 10 million or 5 million people. And, at that time too, they're, you know, having 13 kids and three quarters of them die before you die. Like there's all, you know, it's just, like you said, it's a different, different scenery. And I, I can take comfort, at least on my side, knowing that, okay, you know, I'm not alone trying to f- figure this stuff out. It's not the first and not the last one that will have to, you know, process some of these thoughts and emotions and look, there's stuff we can do, right? If we yeah. can slow down and think about it. But that, you, you know, I think it is by design, you know, it's by design and it's built into the system, you know, institutional memory loss isn't by accident, you know, because, you, you know, it's just when you look at anything, or even if you look at, you know, world wars, it's like the, um, a lot of the, I don't know, a lot of the reasons why these wars happened are come down to colonialism and are usually covered up or, you know, kind of mm. the, the people are made to think it was something else, but basically it was, you know, 
it was Great Britain or America practicing colonialism, which, you know, in school we're taught that it's, you know, when a country goes somewhere and puts down a flag, um, which it's not. It's when a, con- you know, a country goes somewhere and rapes and pillages and kills and takes over um, and, um, and does it again and again and again and kind of, you know, it's like, we just don't call things for what they are. And, you know, I think that's by design with regards to the governments and, and um, mm-hmm. you know, the people who profit from war. You know, why isn't war non- non-profit? You know, why when people sell weapons do they make a profit? Why is that one of America's biggest exports? Like, why, why do people profit from that? Because there's no incentive for it not to be there and there's no incentive for people to remember what happened before so these things are avoided. Um, and so, the, you know, these are things I, I often think about. Yeah, I agree. Well, just the last point on this one is I definitely want to get back to you. <laughs> but I mean, I think what I'm realizing at least, and, and what's interesting is just going through this pandemic that we're in now, uh, this has been so apparent, at least to me, is that we're, we just, and, and I'm, not, I'm not generalizing you or myself in this, but I think in general, the population or society, we, we, it's like we've stopped thinking. Right. So it, we, we were on such a, an autopilot and, you know, just flow through life that if, if the majority of people were asking the questions that you just left, I mean, at least it would stop and ask, well, like, like what's happening here what, or what's going on? And, and that's, you know, and that, that's the point of this podcast, obviously. And the, and the whole reason I'm writing this book is just to show that all of these people that we may, you know, look up to or for whatever reason have inspired you know, uh, us to read the profile or look into their work are asking these questions. So Mm. it's like, how can, how can we get people to just, you know, slow down a bit and clear out some of that mental fog and, and, and think, and maybe it's journaling, maybe it's drawing, maybe it's meditation. I mean, I I don't really care as, as long as something is pausing, right. The narrative that that's, that's going on in your head or pausing the, you know, the fact that we're on like this, this never ending escalator. Yeah. And that's why one of the reasons I love drawing and, you know, try to remind people that, you know, we all drew as children, you know, we were all given this gift that allowed us to have this interaction and this connection between our head and our hand. And that is for a reason, you know, we were given that so that we can extract ourselves in a way so that we can calibrate ourselves so that we have an understanding of where spatially ourselves are in the world. And there's so many benefits from that interaction and the result being drawing or writing or, or something in between music, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and, you know, just along the way, adults believe that they can't do those things or that they're for children. And yeah. um, I think when that happens, they just miss out on such a huge benefit that could serve them in their daily lives. So, you know, I, I'm so fortunate that, I draw as a career or as a hobby or as everything in between, because it means I'm constantly using this tool that is a meditation in a way and does allow me to pause and does allow me to reflect and does keep me present. And, and, you know, all of those things that come with it. So what was it then that do you think that it was for you that, you know, you didn't essentially follow the the mainstream who most of us, like you said, kind of give that up, right? Was there something? Yeah. How, How did you hang on to that? You know, it comes back to the beginning, you know, earlier I just spoke about when I walked outside of my house, I was completely different from absolutely everyone around me. And actually also when I was inside my house. 
So why would I listen to someone if they said, oh, you can't do that or you can do that? Because I was faced with that in pretty much every aspect of my life. And so my life came about having security and confidence in myself. You know, when everyone is, you know, when you're bullied or when you look different or when you're an outsider or when you don't fit in, um, you have to be confident and you have to be secure and you have to uh, listen to yourself and not listen to others because everyone else is just telling you what you can't do. And when that's coming from all directions, you know, you're not left with many options apart from saying, well, I'm going to do what I want to do and I'm going to be defiant. And if someone tells me I can't do it, I'm going to show that I can do it. And I think drawing in a way is wrapped up in all of that. You know, you're taught that, oh, this is, you know, you go to school and you learn about Picasso and Magritte and, you know, all of these old dead white guys that you can't see yourself in. And then you're told that you actually can't do what they're doing. So at some point you've got to just say, well, I can do what I'm doing and, you know, continue that for your adult life. And I, I think, you know, reminding a lot of adults that perhaps didn't have that pressure or perhaps had that pressure to fit in and in a way they did fit in um, with that pressure and sadly, it's sometimes a loss of that confidence in drawing or that confidence in mark making. I, I heard you say at one point, you know, when you're when you draw live, which um, I'm curious to see how how that's morphed, obviously, given what's going on in the world right now. But when you're you're drawing live, you, you said something like you have no time to be anyone else. Yeah, I I'd just love to get your your thoughts behind that. It's such a beautiful line. You know, if, if I'm sitting here drawing by myself. I'm going to get distracted. I'm going to put the TV on. I'm going to watch Netflix. I'm going to go to the fridge. I'm going to eat something. I'm, you know, I'm, <laughs> like I'm going to do something else other than what I'm setting out to do. But if I'm standing in front of a, you know, if I'm on a stage or I'm standing in front of people and I'm drawing live, you know, I'm in that role. I'm an artist. This is what I do. I don't have time now to be insecure or overthink things or be distracted uh, I don't have time to overplan what I'm doing. And more importantly, I don't have time to be anyone else but myself because I'm in the process of making. And there's something so refreshing about that. And I wish it was something that we could all try where you put yourself in a position where you take time away and there's no time to think, plan, hesitate, or be anyone else but yourself. And then doing that so many times so that you can look back at the work or the lines or the words that you're creating and then get to really see yourself reflected in that. So cool. What does it feel like when you're in that, in that place? It's Do people disappear essentially, or like what? What's it like? It's really exciting, but really scary at the same time. You know, I I I remember once um, back in I think 2014, I had um, a museum show at this place called Makada, which is the Museum of Contemporary African Diaspora. And it was the opening night and, you know, I'm doing a live drawing on this, you know, this paper on the wall and, you know, I was too scared to turn around. And when I turned around, the, ro the, the room was, and this is hard to think of right now, but the room was packed. Like you could not fit another body in that room. It, it was shoulder to shoulder. The whole room was packed. There's a couple hundred people in the room. And I turned around, I went bright red. And then I just was like, I waved at everyone. Everyone waved back at me. And then I turned around and then I kept drawing. Um, 
But, you know, it, it gave me that sense of like, oh, this is what like musicians or rock stars must feel like in a, yeah. in a weird way. Because, you know, I turned around and I did a gesture and then this whole room made that gesture back. And it, it, that <laughs> kind of showed me that there was a connection at that point. We were all connected through these lines that I was making. And for that connection to be authentic and real and honest and truthful and all of these things, I just had to allow the pen and that movement to go and do whatever it wanted to do. And I'm all, you know, I'm kind of that tool or that vessel sounds a little cheesy, but that's just how it is. You know, yeah. I'm, I'm allowing that pen and that pen or that moment is connecting every single person in that room. So when we all step away and come back to that drawing, everyone knows how it was created and everyone in a way was a part of it being created. Wow, that is powerful. And, and congrats to you for not just freezing and dropping the pen. I feel like that would have been my, my scenario. Either that or say, okay, everyone, now we're going to sing this line. You sing it back to me to get the, the real rock stars. Yeah, yeah. No, we'll get there eventually, you know. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm curious because, you know, at this point, if if you come across any of your work, you can immediately tell it's your work, which, which is a beautiful thing, obviously. And I'm sure something you're, you're proud of. Um, but I'm curious if you like, what kind of subtleties you've noticed have, have changed over the years as you are evolving as a person. Cause I, I get the sense that, you know, like what you just described, like you're, you're kind of channeling that energy from the, uh, from the crowd or whoever's there, but there's, there's also, you know, what's coming from within, like, have you, have you noticed these, these subtleties in your work? Yeah, you know, so so definitely, you know, and that's the great thing about having a creative path in a way is that you have that power of reflection. You know, you're leaving these things behind that over time tell a story uh, and, and evolve in a way. And especially, you know, with my line work or my drawings, I, I look at, you know, kind of a mural or something that I did four or five years ago and I look at it or pictures of it and I say, wow, it's so dense and there's way more words. And so I think the main change that I'm seeing as I look back over my work is that the space is growing, you know, the nothingness is growing, you know, on average, wow. I think when I was a scholar at MIT, I kind of got, you know, I was able to test all these analytics of my drawing, kind of the underlining information from, you know, the length of the average length of my drawings, like with the combined amount of lines or the average spatial coverage of a line and things like that. So imagine if I had a big white wall and I was to do one of my drawings on it, you know, uh, four or five, six years ago, the average coverage or the, you know, average amount of ink on that wall would, would be about 11%. And so, you know, that's like still 90% white space, but now it's about 8%. So there's almost less with more. And so that's what I've noticed, you know, kind of from a nerdy standpoint, that is, is that, cool. that there's more space in my work. It feels like it can breathe more. Um, but, you know, that's interesting because I'm thinking, well, what am I leaving behind, you know? Yeah, where, yeah, that was my next question. <laughs> yeah, like, where does that stuff go? And, and you know, because it does feel like, you know, and, and then, you know, when I'm 60, are there even less lines? Um, and, you know, it's, it's funny when I think of that because often I have a big white canvas, for example, and I make that first line. 
there's a part of me that just wants to leave that one line because that initial first line is sometimes so beautiful. But then the other half of me was like, oh, that's a joke. That's like, you know, when these artists just put up a white canvas and, you know, yeah. <laughs> give it this big, dark and deep and meaningful like name. Um, but I do feel like, you know, there is a confidence in being, being able to put one line on a whole canvas and then walking away. And perhaps that's what I'm walking towards. You know, perhaps when I'm 80 or 90 and hopefully still around and hopefully still creating, you know, I'll feel confident enough that one line can tell the whole story. And I'll feel confident enough that I've put in so many years of work to be able to tell that story. But, you know, I guess time will tell. That is fascinating. And it, it, it reminds me, I literally just watched this documentary last night on Netflix about a chef um, in Singapore called uh, Chef Andre uh, Chang, I believe. And he, it, it matches so, so uh, clearly what you just said. He, he, he was greeting all of his guests at the front door and for, for every service essentially before it started. And he made this point that I think he had, the restaurant was open seven or eight years. And he said, you know, it took, it took five years for it to actually mean something that Chef Andre was there. And, and you can just say Chef Andre welcomed you to the restaurant. Before that didn't really matter, but he was kind of alluding to like just putting in the work and the confidence and building just that, that internal brand as well. You know, it takes time. And I yeah. feel like there's, there, there's, there's like a parallel to that in some case, which is really nice to hear. Yeah. You know, there's time there, there's ownership there. And, you know, I think that is essentially like why artists and creatives, you know, are special. Um, and it's, you know, it's interesting now, you know, with this whole revolution of, you know, AI and, you know, we can train an AI on an artist, you know, career, and then the AI will make new works that the AI owns or something like that. And mm -hmm. it's like, you can't ever own years and years and years and years of that creative journey you know no matter how much of it you put into a, a artificial intelligence and no matter how much that ai cuts it up and chops it up and, and you know spits out something new there's something fundamentally so special and human um, about that evolution that a, an, an artist or a, a human goes on to create these you know kind of styles or fingerprints or stories yeah. Well, and, and that's, yeah, that, that's just the pure gift. And, you know, every, everyone is doing something to that level. Obviously mm. others are like yourself are, are at, uh, you know, higher levels in the sense of doing it more often. And, and that's your, your, your craft and your dedication, but I'd encourage everyone listening. I mean, we all have that part in us essentially. Um, I'm curious for, cause so much of your work is a reflection of, yourself as well as the the energy from the people around you and whatnot so you know you're i think everyone can tell and, and i'm getting this you're very reflective by by nature at least from what i can hear are there any other mental fitness or, or practices in your life that you default to um outside of drawing that you know either either completely help you disconnect from that world or help you know, become even more clear when you're, when a pen or a marker hits the, the canvas so that you can actually feel and, and channel that energy? You know, I just think conversation and just talking to different people. I love talking I love to, 
smart people. Uh, I love talking to academics. You know, I love people that spend their life in books because I'm, you know, I don't, I'm not a reader. I've probably read, I don't know, 10, 20 books in my whole life. And, you know, that's just not how I learn, but there are people that do learn in that way. And I'm curious about them. And I'm curious about people who have a great knowledge of history and languages. And, and so I think those conversations with, with, a, you know, a whole gamut of people really intrigues me and uh, inspires me in a way to, you know, then go off and do my own kind of little thing in a, in a different way. Hmm. I love that. I love that the, the, the like we all have access to that, right? You don't have to download an app to do that. Yeah. <laughs> which is, which is really nice. Yeah. You can learn so much from people, you know, and, um, yeah, there's, there's so much out there. There's so many interesting people out there with, you know, stories or histories. And, um, yeah, I'm, I'm always curious about that. I don't necessarily want to go out and read a book about that, but I love to hear someone talk about those stuff. Mm hmm. I, w I definitely want to talk about uh, the work that you did with Baron Fig. Um, well, a, yeah, you know the backstory with the book and everything. And Joey's been on the show a couple times as well. Um, and you know, I was just looking at the simple observations. Uh, it, I guess it's a notebook or journal, limited edition that you did in collaboration with them, with 375 prompts. I mean, that's just get that gets a prompt guy really excited. <laughs> so how you know like. Where did that come from? And, you know, why, why simple observations? Yeah, you know, it's, it's funny. Um, when I, I connected with Baron Fink, having a completely different idea and, um, you know, almost a collaboration with them, we, we ended up going down a different path and, and ended up with, with simple observations. And, you know, it comes back to that love of questions. It comes back to that, that love of um trying to encourage people and inspire them to pick up a pen, to see what's in front of them, to maybe daydream and see what's not in front of them, uh, you know, to imagine things that maybe don't exist or do exist. And it's, you know, I think it's kind of a really great notebook for that and a solution for that. You know, you could also just pick it up and use it as a notebook. And, you know, if you come across a question that you're, that hits you, then, you know, you could just answer that one. And so, you know, I love that you're also not really forcing it upon people, but you're giving them the ability or the option or the gift of exploring those things. And, and timing wise, you know, we were working on this, I think through some of last year into this year. And then, you know, it, it came out at a time where I think reminding people about the simplicities of things in front of them or the simplicities of things that people can imagine um, you know, it's a real benefit right now too. Yeah. Well, that's what I love about, well, really everything that you've been speaking about. I feel like, you know, a notebook like that with these prompts, your work, I mean, it, it all to me stimulates this, this training of your mind to, to see these little details. Right. And again, yeah. like coming back to our, our conversation about the prompts and, and like the repeating of history that, you know, many people just don't slow down the spinning of their mind enough to, to see it all there. Cause it's all there. It's not like, you know, you and I are inventing questions and inventing drawing or like an ex expression like that, but you know, you've slowed down enough to connect to that. And for me, I've slowed enough, slowed down enough to see the, the questions that are there, which it just, it just keeps giving because in, I, I feel like you start noticing so much more around you. It's like your senses have been fired up to this whole other level. 
you know, and that, that all of that sounds obvious, but it, we just don't do those t- sorts yeah. of things. And, um, and you know, it's, it, it's just, why would we, because we're trying to survive and live and, you know, navigate crappy healthcare and all of these other things, education and transport. And, uh, you know, unless you live somewhere quite simply, living in a city in today's age is not simple. And so I think having these reminders or these tools to create those bridges or to create those opportunities whenever possible is so important because, um, you know, we are caught up in this incredible, incredibly unnecessarily complicated world and time that, that we live in. And so sometimes just working with the obvious and working simply, you know, I, I, I've not, invented anything new i draw with a line um i've just dedicated a lifetime to it so that i can tell my story or create these connections like i've spoke about or you know try and inspire in these simple ways and hopefully there's a connection within the simple because we've tried overly educated dark and deep and meaningful and and you know where's progress? You know, we spoke about that. There is no progress. So (laughs) why not create stuff that's playful and whimsical? And, you know, if we're moving away from this dark place, why not move towards a lighter place? And I think that lighter place is within, you know, words and lines and drawings and literature and, and film and all of those creative industries. I wanted to ask you why, why black and white? You know, there isn't a lack of color. And it's, it's always funny because I get asked this question, you know, why black and white? And I'm like, well, in 2018, I did a whole show of color. And, you know, when I lived in Japan, I had a whole career in color. And it, it just shows, you know, like if you do something predominantly, that becomes the thing that you do. Yeah. Um, you know, you, you, you could be writing all sorts of things, but the thing that you write about predominantly people will be like oh why don't you write anything else like why are you only writing about questions um, i saw you in purple once i was like wait a second <laughs> yeah yeah there was a time where i purple was my favorite color and i wore it all the time so yeah. you know I, I like to answer that question in the sense by saying you know there isn't a lack of color like it is there you just have to look a little bit harder but yeah. also like there's so many reasons i love black and white you know it's it's simple you can't hide you know when i look at lines or black and white artwork, you have to see, you see everything because it's so transparent and it's so bare. And, you know, I love the transparency of it. I love the honesty of it. I love the calmness of it. I love that you can't hide things in it. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, and there's also that reflection of self, like I'm half black and I'm half white myself. And, And so there's that extension from myself from it. Um, but you know, often when I'm working with other people, be it in collaborations or drawing on people or digital work, you know, there, there is often color, but I do think there is a a very meaningful calmness, um, about working in black and white. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I mean, just, just taking in your work, um, I, I can feel that. And, and, um, thank, thanks for answering it. I know you get the question often, but I, I asked it because, you know, for the very reason how you replied, because I think there's so many parallels that even if we're not drawing, that we can stop and reflect on, again, getting back to some of the basics or the simplicities of life and, and seeing things without all the crazy detail around it, right? There's there's so much there in what you just said that we can slow down and reflect on uh, ourselves or our own, you know, prompts and whatnot. So I appreciate it. 
and you know and and we often we cover artwork up with color you know and and color uh, you know, I, I think there's this theme that, you know, as, as I think back and reflect on our conversation, you know, there is this theme or this need or this want for transparency, you know, for things to be bare um, from societal system to the work that I'm creating. I think there is that that question or that want um, and maybe I'm executing it or get into some solution through it by predominantly working in black and white myself. Sure. What's, um, what's exciting you about the next six, 12 months or so? I don't know. Is that, is that a real question? Um, <laughs> <laughs> I guess, you know, are, is there, what do you Is there anything you're working towards or, you, you know, like, yes, but you know, everything's on a contingency, right? So, sure. um, I meant to be, uh, you know, I've been commissioned by the Boston ballet to choreograph, my first ballet for the Boston Ballet. And hopefully that will take place in the spring. But, you know, obviously that's on a little bit of um, a contingency. Uh, You know, I have a project that just launched, you know, this week, but it's predominantly for the new year or for next year with the the Whitney Museum shop where, you know, I'm, you know, they've never done a project like this of, ever where they've collaborated with an artist to create a whole line of meaningful positive product um, from you know postcards to key tags to posters to neon works Um, you know this idea and, and I'm always trying to push this idea within kind of my little art corner or space you know the accessibility of art you know the the message of art being able to um, widen that ownership of art in a way. And so now you can walk into the Whitney Museum. You don't have to pay admission. You can go to the shop for free. And for a few dollars, you can buy a Chantal Martin X Whitney Museum product and gift that to someone or have it for yourself. You know, either it's a poster that says, you know, kindness is a better way forward or it's a, a key, you know, it's a, a various key tag that says, may you sleep soundly at night. You know, these mm-hmm. these products that have positive messages out there. And so so that's, you know, that, that launch now, but it's, you know, it's a project for next year. Um, and it has a lot of kind of playful, you know, that there'll be some playing cards in the future and, and really interesting other products. Um, you know, what else is going on? There's, there's probably a bunch of things that I can't remember right now, but you know, so, so everything, like I said, there's a lot, there's a lot going on. I'm excited about it. There's a contingency. Um, you know, this year would have been an interesting year because I launched my, my first art book, my first monograph, I think is the long long fancy word. Um, you know, I did a Ted talk from my couch, um, instead of Vancouver. Um, and so, you know, um, It's been an interesting year this year, but, you know, next year I'm just interested in seeing what happens, you know, as an observer, I'm still going to be making my own stuff, um, working on these bigger projects. Um, at some point, if you, once you put out this podcast, I'll remember everything else I'm working on for next year. But right now I just, I just went blank. (laughs) No, no, this, this is really good because I mean, the through line for me for, for this whole show really is just being very dialed into the present moment yeah. you know, through your work and through the, this conversation. So I'm not, I'm not surprised. And like, frankly, it's pretty good strategy considering um, what's going on in the world, right? Like, cause there could be, you know, things literally change by the day and sometimes by the hour. 
you know, and we get wrapped up in excitement of things to come when and forget about, you know, where we're where we're at right now. So Exactly. And like, you know, in October, I opened my first museum retrospective show at the New Britain Museum of American Art, which is in New Britain in Connecticut. And that will be going through, you know, most of next year. Um, Mm. I have a a show at the Denver Art Museum, which will be going through most of next year, too. So, you know, there's things that are kind of rolling out of this year into next year. And, you know, hopefully all world things considered, they'll continue to be open so people can go and see these shows or, you know, perhaps there's ways that we can even find to make them virtual to allow people to see them that perhaps wouldn't be able to otherwise. Yeah. Amazing. Well, I want to respect your time. And so I'm going to wrap up. I definitely got a lot of prompts uh, through the conversation. So up to you if you, because I always ask for two or three reflective questions that are floating around in, in people's head. Um, on a consistent basis. So if you have any of those you want to leave them, please do. But if not, I mean, there's just the, just the way you countered on my, who are you question? I mean, that is a powerful one. How am I finding my way in life? I love that. Mm. Yeah. You know, there's lots of questions out there and I think, you know, if you ever want to talk again, we just talk about not my art. We'll just talk about the state of the world and history and politics and all of that stuff. We can do that too. That's always fun. <laughs> uh, absolutely. Well, I, I mean, I want to thank you uh, obviously for your time uh, for this conversation, but a little bit of a higher thank you, let's just say from everyone listening and all the people out there that, you know, because of your dedication to you yourself and expressing, um, who you are and the, and the people that, you know, support that energy in, in your work, you know, you've changed, I think I, w- I would go to say you've changed a lot of lives and, and helped a lot of people in their own journey. So thank you for that. You know, it's um, a quote I wrote in one of my pieces in, in Bed-Stuy in Brooklyn is, you know, if life doesn't give you a door, climb out of a window. And so, you know, I hope in a small way that I've been opening a lot of windows for other people to also climb out of. And then eventually, you know, we'll make our own doors and um, walk through those. 